Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. A 20-year-old girl goes missing in a popular college town, Bloomington, Indiana. Where is Lauren Spearer? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. Take a listen to our cut, too. This is our friend Pat LaLama, Crime Watch Daily. June 3rd, just after midnight, Lauren leaves her small wood plaza apartment and heads to fellow student Jason Rosenbaum's party at five North townhomes. It's the beginning of a night of heavy drinking. At 1.46 a.m., Lauren and another friend, Corey Rossman, leave the party and walk down the street to Kilroy's sports bar. Witnesses say Lauren is already drunk and barely able to stand. Cops later find her shoes and cell phone at the bar. At 2.27 a.m., Lauren and Corey head back to her apartment. They never get to her room. Once inside the complex, investigators say Corey argues with another student and gets punched in the face. At 2.48, Corey and Lauren head back to Corey's place. Through this dark alley, witnesses say Lauren is so out of it now, she falls and hits her head. Bloomington police find Lauren's ID and keys in the alley. Keys, ID, in the alley? But no, Lauren, take a listen to our cut three. At around 3 a.m., the two get back to Corey's apartment. Corey says he passes out, then claims he suffered amnesia from getting punched in the face earlier and now tells police he remembers nothing about that night. Corey's roommate tells police he calls Jason Rosenbaum, the guy Lauren was partying with earlier, to come get his friend. Corey's roommate claims that's the last time he ever saw Lauren. At 4.14, this grainy surveillance video captures a white pickup cruising nearby. 4.15 a.m., Jason walks Lauren back to his apartment. He tells police she wanted to go home, so he watched her walk to this intersection from his balcony. Jason claims a shadowy figure approached Lauren when she turned toward her apartment. Lauren never made it home. What happened to Lauren, just 20 years old? From Scarsdale, New York, she graduated Edgemont High School and enrolled at Indiana University. She moved to Bloomington to study fashion and fashion merchandise. Still no clues as the months and years pass. With me, an all-star panel trying to make sense of what we know about the disappearance of Lauren Spearer. Wendy Patrick joining us, California prosecutor, author of Red Flags on Amazon, and host of Today with Dr. Wendy on KCBQ San Diego, Dr. Angela Arnold, renowned psychiatrist, joining us from the Atlanta jurisdiction. You can find her at AngelaArnoldMD.com. Michael Ciravolo, the Spearer family, private investigator with Bo Deedlin Associates, former commander, NYPD. But first, to Nicole Parton, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter, joining us. Nicole, what happened? It sounds like everybody uh, was partying around a game, a college game. Right. So um, this is one of the um, common things, I think, that her and her group of friends would do. But this particular time, they were celebrating the NBA playoffs. So they started this pregame celebration at one friend's home. 
Uh, they left that friend. They went down to Kilray Sports Bar. She left with one of her friends, Corey. Um, they walked back to his apartment. They went to another friend's apartment. It was a night-long party from one place to the other, back and forth. And there are moments that we capture surveillance. There are moments we have witnesses. And then there are moments when we don't know what happened. Joining me is a very special guest, Michael Cerevolo, the Spear Family Private Investigator with Bo Dillon Associates. Michael, thank you for being joining us. Thank you for being with us. Michael, what is your understanding about what happened that night? Well, I've always maintained during the course of this investigation uh, that one of three things may have befallen Lauren uh, in the early morning hours of June 3rd. Uh, number one being uh, she never left uh, the house of Jay Rosenbaum. Uh, she uh, she had uh, a heart uh, condition. Uh, she had uh, some alcohol that evening and perhaps uh, she just past of natural causes and the boys up there not wanting to mess up their uh, their uh, careers uh, after college. They all come from affluent uh, families, um, may have disposed of her body in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the second scenario, which uh, is uh, very much still in play, is that her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf. Uh, who was uh, known to be uh, very jealous and protective of Lauren, uh, may have gotten wind that she was out with uh, Corey Rossman and, uh, and fraternizing with these other boys out of his circle of friends and may have, uh, may have, uh, lay, you know, may, may have been lying in wait for her when she left that apartment and things might have gotten out of hand if there was a confrontation. And uh, maybe uh, her boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, uh, did something to her and disposed of the body. And uh, the third uh, scenario, which is, as I say, very much in play, is that an opportunist on the street, a stranger, a random uh, opportunist may have seen a 95-pound barefoot girl uh, walking down the street, uh, intoxicated, and taking advantage of her and put her in his his car and uh, made made off with her. So those are the, the three scenarios that uh, any one of them are possible. Um, there's no one that is stronger than the other. And and at this point in time, 10 years into the investigation, uh, one of the reason I do these uh, types of uh, shows is in hopes someone who knows something will come forward and say something, give us a substantive tip so we can uh, we can bring some closure to the Spear of family and uh, and bring Lauren home. Take a listen to our cut four. This is what's happening in, after the immediate disappearance of Lauren Spearer. This is our friend Angeline Hartman on AMW. Right now, a massive search is underway in Bloomington, Indiana for Lauren Spearer, a 20-year-old sophomore at Indiana University. Lauren disappeared on Friday, June 3rd. 
Police say Lauren left a Bloomington sports bar around 2.30 a.m. with a male acquaintance. She briefly stopped by her apartment building before going out once more. Around 4.30 a.m., Lauren supposedly told friends she was calling it a night and was headed home. But no one has seen her since. No one has seen her since. Let's walk through her steps that night to you, Nicole Parton. What can you tell us? So they started out partying with friends, a group of about 10 of these college students. Um, early in the evening, midnight, something like that. Um, they, they finished kind of partying there. She goes back to her apartment for a moment. She leaves her apartment. She goes to the apartment of a friend, Corey Rossman. Her and Corey Rossman make their way down to Kilray Sports Bar, where they again meet up with friends. There's drinking. They're partying there. That's where we believe that um, Lauren loses her cell phone and her shoes. Kilray Sports Bar has an outside. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Right there. Right there. Wendy Patrick, uh, if you're hearing what Nicole Parton is saying, she le- loses her cell phone and her shoes. How do you lose your cell phone and your shoes? Yeah, that's a, a huge red flag. That's uh, most, most people probably wouldn't lose those items. Those are pretty important. So right away, you start to sort of take the story apart and figure out, wait a minute, who was there? Who possibly could have seen that? And you begin to form a timeline when you start hearing facts like that. Very, very important. What about it to you, Dr. Angel Arnold? What does that tell you? Well, I mean, Nancy, it tells me that from what you said at the very beginning, they were out for a night of partying. And it tells me it sounds like she was a little bit too drunk for her own good. Stop right there. So you're blaming her because she was drinking? No, 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 no. I'm not. Yeah, well, it sounds like when you say she was a little too drunk for her own good. Well, I mean, Nancy, I that somehow her fault. You know, Nancy, I'm not blaming her, but I'm but I'm saying if you are very intoxicated, you lose the ability to make good decisions for yourself and you also can lose your things. And it sounds like that's what happened to her. But I'm not saying I mean, poor thing. I've got kids this age, Nancy. And, you, you know, you talk to them and you teach them and you ask them not to drink too much and things like that. But but sometimes kids go out and they have a really good time. And every last one of us has done that in our lives, I believe. Well, and it's very speak unfortunate. For what speak for oh, yourself. Nancy. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. What transpired that night? We know the family immediately goes to the location. Take a listen to our friend Jackie Howard at CrimeOnline.com. This is Cut 5. Lauren Spearer's family traveled from New York to Indiana as Bloomington police launched an all-out search effort, along with hundreds of volunteers. Lauren's father, Robert. In this area, there's a lot of uh, open space and wooded areas. We're asking that you check your own properties, look through the fields, look through the woods, look in the barns to see if uh, you can find anything. After a week, there is still no sign of Lauren. Her mother, Charlene. Somebody knows where Lauren is. Somebody knows. Lauren is 4 feet 11 inches tall with long blonde hair and blue eyes. 
the police point out. However, if she was kidnapped, her appearance may have been altered. Were there any signs Straight out to you, private investigator for the Spearer family, Michael Siravola. Were there any signs or any evidence that pointed to a kidnap? No. Uh, when you say kidnap, uh, that would bring in scenario number three, an opportunist on the street. I spend many, many weeks in, in Bloomington and late at night uh, in the early morning hours, there are some uh, some homeless types that roam the street um, at night and, you know, coming across a petite, uh, little attractive barefoot girl, uh, she she could could have been easy prey for someone, you know, who's uh, uh, a rapist or, or something along those lines to uh, snap her up off the street. I mean, it is in the realm of possibility uh and that's why uh, the three scenarios that i pointed out earlier uh remain in play here here we are 10 years later and they they remain in play take a listen to our cut six this is katherine chiaffe wcbs 20-year-old Lauren Spear vanished two weeks ago today. While Bloomington police have received more than 500 tips on the white truck that was circling where she was last seen, her dad, Robert Spear, is still begging anyone with information to come forward. Get the courage and tell us anything that you know. As he gets choked up, his wife explains that's all he wants for Father's Day. And then Spear continues. Let your parents know that how much you love them. And the parents out there on Sunday, make sure that you let your children know how much you love them. 500 tips on a white truck circling the area where Lauren was last seen. A truck circling. I mean, Wendy Patrick, that brings up all sorts of horrible connotations. Oh, it sure does. That's a that's our worst nightmare. You know, when I was growing up, it was the, the white van with no windows. Now it's almost anybody that's casing a scene. And, you know, neighborhood watch is only as good as people that are watching. And so when you do see this type of activity in a certain area, it definitely means something. The clue now is to figure out whether or not it's connected to the disappearance. Take a listen now to our friends at WCBS 880 Radio, our Cut 7 listen. Police are expanding who they're speaking to. Friends and associates of Lauren Spear are now being questioned. While they don't have a suspect, cops say they do have a number of persons of interest. Police are now also exploring the possibility that Spear overdosed on cocaine. A tip that Bloomington Police Captain Joe Qualters says they have received. We've also heard a lot of other types of information. We are not going to focus on one aspect of information that we get in until that information can be corroborated. Meanwhile, Spears' father, Robert Spears, says they're not giving up on their search. And we are very much focused on finding Lauren. And he's urging anyone with information to come forward. I don't know how the suggestion that she OD'd on cocaine when there was not any evidence that she had used it before uh, wormed its way into the investigation is that to denigrate her to somehow drag her through the mud and also who would have known she OD'd on cocaine and if she did OD on cocaine why didn't somebody just call 911 
That doesn't make sense to me, Wendy Patrick, that somebody ODs, passes out, and you stand by and let them die. You don't call 911, and then what? Dispose of the body? That's just like the argument that George Anthony stood by and saw uh, Kelly drowning in the pool. Then instead of calling 911 when he finds her body or trying to resuscitate her, he puts her in a trash bag and throws her in the woods. No, that did not happen. Uh, in court, we would say that's not a reasonable interpretation of the evidence. It's not the way somebody would act if those facts happened. If somebody would definitely call 911. You would find the evidence you needed to be able to explain what happened, and that would exonerate you. It's it's beyond the pale to suggest unreasonable actions in response to what most people would see as an emergency that paramedics would probably be able to help you through. So, no, that's probably not going to fly no. for exactly the reason. And who are that. those people? that are calling in claiming she OD'd. How do they know that? Were they there? Are they the ones that hit her body? Um, and it also doesn't fit to me with the facts because we know that around 2.48 a.m., everybody's out celebrating the uh, NBA playoffs. They're all going from bar to bar, a group of people. Spear entered an alley that runs between College Avenue and Morton Street. Security cameras mounted there actually show her at 2.51 a.m. walking toward an empty lot. We don't know where she was going. Now, her keys and her purse were found along this route through the alley. Spear and Rossman arrive at the apartment shortly after. A roommate at the apartment says she had been drinking. She stumbled. So we know she was there. He claims she left to go to her own apartment. What happens after that, Nicole Parton? So she goes back to the apartment of Corey Rossman. Corey begins to vomit. He's passing out. His roommate, Mike Beth, helps Corey upstairs to his bedroom, comes back downstairs, realizes that Lauren is really in bad shape. She's had way too much to drink. His story is that he tries to get her to spend the night there, knowing that she's in no shape whatsoever to try to get home. But she's insisting that she go home. She's wanting to find her cell phone. She's very adamant about leaving. So Mike Beth claims that he walks her next door to the apartment of Jay Rosenbaum because Jay was a very close friend of Lauren's. Who who is the boyfriend? um, He's not even here. He's not in the picture at this point. But what's his name? He's not not there parting with her. I don't have his name. His name is Jesse Wolf. Right. Okay. Go go ahead, Nicole. Jesse Wolf. So he's not with her at this point. He's not in the partying mix. So Jay Rosenbaum tries to convince her to stay there next door with him at his apartment because she is in no condition to walk home. Again, she insists. Um, His story is that, you know, he wasn't going to hold her against her will. And so she leaves and she's going to walk the two and a half blocks home. Um, There's a claim that they that they saw her walk to the end of the block. They could see Mm -hmm. her from their balcony that she made it to the block to turn the corner. And then at that point, they don't see her. There's also a surveillance image of her around 4.30 a.m. right there at the corner, making her two and a half blocks home.
Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. So Michael Ciravolo, the Spear Family Private Investigator, we have images of her alive at 430 at the intersection, the, the cross street, where Jay Rosenbaum says he see her, sees her walk to. Uh, I don't believe that to be factual. I've never seen uh, any images of Lauren uh, after she leaves uh, Jay Rosenbaum's house. The building across the street, which was under construction at that time, directly across the street, was not yet completed. There were no surveillance cameras mounted outside. Now, today, on this date, if you walk onto 11th Street, you'll be under surveillance cameras. Uh, there's got to be more than a dozen of them. But uh, on June 3rd of 2011, there was not any surveillance cameras on the right. uh, college and 11th. The only thing that we have is Jay Rosenbaum claiming that he stood out on his second floor balcony, which is a very narrow balcony, and yelled to her, uh, Lauren, uh, let me, text me when you find your phone. And, uh, and, and then he said, he thinks, because it is a distance away, he sees a second person intersect, come close to Lauren once she gets to the corner. As far as video, uh, video surveillance footage of that occurrence, to my knowledge, it does not exist. So Michael Ciravolo, the, the surveillance video, was earlier when she was in the alley where we think she lost her cell phone and she's not up on the corner when she left the apartment. Right. That is correct. Okay. Uh, All right. So we have one surveillance video, but not when she had left the apartment. Take a listen to our friend Patty Ann Brown at Fox News. The friend of a missing Indiana college student tells police he has memory loss from the night she disappeared. Lauren Spearer was last seen June 3rd after a night out with friends. Now a new report reveals two hours before she vanished, Spearer helped a male friend get home after he'd been in a scuffle. And that friend now claims he was punched in the face and has no memory of how the night ended. Corey Rossman, this person who she was walking back and forth with, has hired a lawyer immediately. Uh, And the lawyer says that when Corey and Lauren arrived at that building, that there was that fight. Corey was punched in the face. And the lawyer claims that now Corey has no memory of anything else that happened that night. Fishy? You know, we call that convenient amnesia (laughs) in law enforcement. You know, why is it? Here's my question. Why does this guy run out so quickly and lawyer up? Typically, as a homicide investigator or any investigator, when a person runs out quickly right after somebody is missing or harmed and get get an attorney, we always look at that person with some air of suspicion because that's a little bit unusual. And then why is it that he cannot remember something that just happened days ago? You know, he's got a point to you, Nicole Parton. What allegedly happened when he got punched in the face? He was with Lauren. He was with Lauren. They were, again, going to some friend's apartment to continue their party. The four guys approached um, Corey and Lauren, and one of the gentlemen said to Lauren, hey, are you okay? You appear to be really drunk. And Corey says, look, dude, I've got this. I'm taking care of her. And they kind of got into a verbal altercation. Corey began to, to curse the guy out, and the guy punched Corey in the face. They stumbled out of the apartment building, Corey and Lauren, and it's after that incident that Corey says he suffered from memory loss. Okay, to you, Michael Cervolo, this is very confusing fact scenario because they're going from place to place partying that night during the NBA playoffs, and they're with a group of people. 
What happens when she leaves the bar with Corey? So when she leaves the bar with Corey, they go back into Smallwood, uh, the uh, the high rise residential building that she lived in. Right. And uh, they uh, they entered. Uh, they were up on the floor. Uh, that Lauren lived on waiting for the elevator to go back down. Um, when they, uh, when the elevator door opens, Zach Oaks, accompanied by three other friends were getting off the elevator. Mm-hmm. And one of the boys lived on the same floor, knew Lauren from school and said, Hey, are you okay? Because she was kind of leaning up against the wall and she wasn't, uh, she wasn't, intoxicated and Corey Rossman said answered for her and said no no she's fine she's leaving with me it's okay and uh, the boys also said no she lives right down the hall take her back to her her apartment and uh, they got into a a verbal altercation and uh, uh, Corey uh, Rossman dropped an f-bomb and Zach Oaks is a tough kid uh, from Indianapolis, and he uh, he punched Corey in the face, and Corey went down, and the four boys ran out of the building through uh, a stairway because they didn't want to get arrested for assault. Um, with that, uh, Corey left uh, Smallwood with Lauren. Uh, they were seen on surveillance camera on 10th Street, sitting on some steps, some concrete steps. Uh, of another apartment complex right across the street from Smallwood that's captured on camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then they proceed to walk up the alley where Lauren uh, fell. Uh, they attempted, and Corey carried her uh, up some steps in that bu- building, and they knocked on the door of four girls that were at the pregame party with them uh, a few hours earlier, and all of those girls were asleep and didn't answer the door. So we we, we see on surveillance video uh, Corey uh, carrying her down the stairway back into the back alley to the area where she loses her her uh, wallet and ID and her keys, and he carries her across uh, a uh, a vacant lot which is strewn with uh, broken bricks and 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 debris, and she's barefoot. So he carries her, you know, he drapes her arms across his his uh, shoulders, and he carries her up to the apartment on Eleventh Street which he uh, shares with Mike Beth. Mike Beth was home uh, after the pregame. He did not go out to sport, Kilroy Sports. He, uh, his claim is he had a paper due the next day, and he mm-hmm. ne- needed to work all night long on the paper. So Corey walks in with Lauren. She sits on the couch, and Corey uh, is very, very drunk, and he starts to get sick. And Mike uh, helps him up the stairway. It's a duplex up to his room. Corey uh, vomits on the stairway. And then Mike helps him into his bed. He goes back downstairs and he wants to get rid of Lauren because he has to do his schoolwork. So he um, then uh, 
brings Lauren next door to Jay Rosenbaum's house. And Jay Rosenbaum had uh, attended a camp some, some time earlier with Lauren and knew her a lot better than the other boys. And uh, uh, Rosenbaum uh, did claims, I've interviewed him on two separate occasions, claims he tried to have Lauren sleep on the couch, uh, but she preferred to go home. Uh, so he let her go home and he went upstairs to the second floor balcony where he then claims he let, he yells out to her as she's walking down the street towards College Avenue, call me when you find your phone or text me when you find your phone. And then he claims he sees uh, in the shadows a second figure intersect with Lauren, but he's not quite certain if his mind is just... He wants to help so much that he sees this, or maybe it really didn't happen. And that's as much substance as, as we have to this. And that's the last we see of Lawrence Spear. Michael, standing from that balcony, would he have been able to see her at that spot? He claims he saw her? Yes. Well, we do know what happened to her cell phone and keys. Take a listen to our cut 10. Fox News. Lauren Spears' cell phone and keys were recovered shortly after she was reported missing in the same neighborhood she was last seen. So that image from the earlier uh, in this story of her on that security camera, that's the last known image. And family members at a news conference today say when they take a look at it, they see much more. I think if you look closely at the content in this picture, you will see who Lauren is. Uh, she's a happy, smiling, beautiful young lady on her way out for the evening to meet with friends. Inspira's father believes that she is being held by a person or persons. Lauren Spearer has been missing now for 12 and a half days. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Michael Cervolo, where did Lauren's father get the idea that she was being held captive? Well, that was very, very early on. Uh Um, Before we, you know, that was 12 days into the investigation. And here we sit, you know, uh, some uh, almost 10 and a half years later. We've learned a great deal uh, through through interviews and, and uh, investigation that, um, yes, it is a possibility. That is one of the scenarios that some random uh, person uh, snatched her off the street. But the other severi- uh, scenarios still are very much in play. Jesse, uh, Jesse Wolf is still not properly uh, alibied as to his exact whereabouts. The boyfriend. At, uh, yes, at 4.15 in the morning. I've interviewed a number of his fraternity brothers and roommates. He was in a fraternity that was so rowdy they got thrown off campus. So they lived in a number of small off-campus rental properties. Uh, Jesse lived with three other fellows, and um, he... Uh, he claims he was at another house down the block or a block or two away from his house, which was at Ninth and Fess in, uh, in Bloomington, watching the NBA playoffs. And then when he went home, 
Uh, he talked about it, and they had a couple of beers with uh, a roommate, and the roommate puts it at about 2.15, the latest 2.30 in the morning, and Lauren goes missing at 4, 4.15. So where was Jesse with 100% degree of certainty between 2.30 in the morning and 4, 4.15? Still a huge question mark. And, and Jesse, um, you know, he's lawyered up. Uh, his father, Alan Wolf, uh, runs interference for him. Uh, when we uh, attempted to further interview Jesse Wolf. So that scenario, the, the jealous boyfriend finding out that Lauren is out with uh, uh, the Rosenbaum, Beth, and, and Corey Rossman crew, uh, he may have uh, either walked up there or taken his vehicle up there. Uh, knowing where they live, it was only about four blocks uh, from where he lived, and he might have been staking it out. When Lauren turned the corner, he might have said, get in the car, we have to talk. You know, that scenario is still very much in play. Uh, Who reported then, her missing, Michael? Uh, Jesse Wolf reported the her boyfriend. missing later that afternoon. Yes, Friday afternoon, Jesse Wolf went to the uh, Bloomington uh, police station and reported her missing. Has Jay Rosenbaum, and, the one who was with her, who last saw her, he says, walking toward her apartment, and he yells out, texting when you find your cell phone. Has he taken a polygraph? Yes. Did he pass? I he has. I, 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 you know what? Law enforcement doesn't tell us everything. Um, I interviewed uh, him uh, in the presence of his lawyer, his, uh, mm -hmm. his lawyer, uh, uh, a female lawyer from Indianapolis, was on the line when I interviewed him. Yeah. About a year and a half to two years later, I traveled to Michigan after he graduated, and I, I re-interviewed him in the presence of his mother. Yes. Um, I asked him during that second interview, would you be willing at our expense to take a polygraph? We'll travel back uh, to Michigan to conduct uh, with our polygraphist to conduct uh, the, uh, the polygraph uh, examination. Yes. Or if you would like to come to New York, we'll pay all the expenses, put you and your mom or your dad in a hotel in New York. We'll pay for everything, and would you do that? He he responded affirmatively. Yes, I'll I'll take another. I'll take a polygraph. What about Jesse uh, Wolf, the I, boyfriend? Has he taken let a polygraph? Me just Nancy, just let me finish on Rosenbaum. Okay. I flew back to New York, and the next day I got a call from Rosenbaum's father saying that they had a family discussion and uh, they now declined to take a polygraph. Okay. Uh, with respect to Jesse Wolf, I did not conduct a polygraph. I'm not certain. Uh, I, I'm not. I know that he was questioned by the authorities at length. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the authorities being the Bloomington Police Department. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if he was questioned by the FBI as well. Um, they are reluctant to share. So we don't know if either of them have ever taken a poly. Guys, take a listen to the Bloomington Police Chief, Mike Dishoff. This is our Cut 12. Over the course of the last 10 years, the Bloomington Police Department has received thousands of tips, interviewed hundreds of people, obtained a multitude of court orders, and executed innumerable search warrants in Bloomington and elsewhere. 
BPD has been assisted from the very beginning by multiple law enforcement agencies and to this day continue to work most closely with the FBI. Many times we are asked if Lauren's case is, a, is listed as a cold case. The answer to that is an unequivocal no. A cold case is one where no leads or information has come in and the case file sits dormant. That has never been the case regarding Lauren, and there has always been something to follow up on. In the last three to four years, for example, investigators have executed at least 10 search warrants and received approximately 800 tips. Of those tips, over 100 of them required additional follow-up. Once they were vetted, it was determined that they were not reports for information that had already been reported previously. Overall, since 2011, BPD has received nearly 3,600 tips with approximately 1,100 of those determined to be actionable and assigned to additional follow-up. You're hearing Bloomington Police Chief Mike Dykoff speaking. The tip line, 812-339-4477. 812-339-4477. And with every day that passes, the facts surrounding the disappearance of Lauren Spear become more murky. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye, friend.